I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. One last time. Uh, Today we are finishing up the book of Philippians. It's always kind of bittersweet as well to uh, finish. It's exciting on one hand, um, but uh, it's also a little sad to leave the book. Also, um, having enjoyed it much, I I know even just our time in chapter 4 over the last few weeks has been helpful uh, to my own soul to just think about the truths and the things that uh, that the Apostle Paul has been writing about anxiety and peace and contentment and so on. So, uh, But today we are in verse 14, and we're going to go right through to the end of the book. Um, so we're going to read that together, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As Paul began this letter to the Philippians, um, which for us was many months ago when we started this, uh, but if you were just hearing the letter read or if you were just reading it through, it would be maybe 15, 20 minutes. I'm not sure exactly how long it would take, not that long. Um, But when he began this letter, he began talking about this partnership that the church in Philippi had with the Apostle Paul and this partnership they enjoyed in, in the gospel. So if you remember back in chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 3. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So the church in Philippi, he says they were partakers with me of grace, Paul says. That is, they had received and they had believed the gospel. They had received the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And that was then the foundation for their active partnership that they enjoyed with Paul in his subsequent ministry as they supported him. And if you remember, I won't blame you if you do not, but if you do remember, uh, that word translated here as partnership is the word uh, koinonia, that Greek word that probably everybody at some point has heard or been told that means fellowship or association or uh, partnership is is a good translation. And also that word There in verse 7 of chapter 1, where he says, partakers with me of grace. The word partakers with is basically the same word, but with a prefix stuck on the front of it. uh, That means with. So, sug koinonos is the word there. And now as Paul, we get to the end of the letter and Paul wraps it up. He returns in an explicit way to this subject of their partnership with him once again, using these same words. Only in this case, they're verbal forms. So in verse 14 of what we just read, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Sug koinoneo, the verbal form of it. To share with, to uh, have association with, to partner with me in my trouble, in my affliction. And then in verse 15, he says, No church entered into partnership, that is no church koinoneo with me, in giving and receiving except you only. So throughout this letter, this uh, partnership, 
This association between the Philippian church on the one hand and the Apostle Paul on the other is, is much on his mind. In fact, it is the gift brought to him by Epaphroditus, as we have seen and we'll see today, that is really prompting this letter from Paul to this church. And there has been much to, to glean from considering this relationship, this partnership between these two parties. So we began the book with that, and we've examined it uh, as we've gone throughout Philippians, really. And now we conclude, again, giving consideration to this matter. And I think it is interesting, just in God's providence, to be preaching this text today of all the days, the day that we are seeking to plant in Regina and we have members gathering there and uh, just as we are both excited and also feeling a little emptier today as a result of that, uh, here we are talking about this whole concept of partnering in the gospel once again. Further, the timing is interesting given the fact that we have just had the Killalay family in our midst, uh, even just for a short time, sharing with us about their ministry in Peru and uh, just, just having this local and global missions fresh on our minds this week to now be considering once again this whole concept of partnership. So again, we're talking about partnering in the gospel. And the first thing I want to point out from this text, the first point of the outline, is recall the beauty of partnering in the gospel. Recall the beauty of partnering in the gospel. Sometimes we just need to remember certain things that are true and good. Partnering for the sake of the gospel is precious. It is good, and sadly, it can be a rare thing. Paul begins here in verse 14. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Uh, So remember, uh, back in verse 10, we looked at last week, Paul is returning here to discuss their revived concern for him. They've now had opportunity again to show support to Paul, and they've sent Epaphroditus to do that very thing. And then he offered a clarification, though, as he's talking about their gift to him and their support for him, that his contentment, he's explicitly stating his contentment was not dependent upon the fact that he now has an abundance. It's not that he, he was discontent until finally they, show, they showed up and gave him help. He knows contentment in all kinds of circumstances. He has learned this. So he offered that clarification in verses 11 through 13. His contentment didn't depend upon their, their having abundance. But he also doesn't want that to be misunderstood either. Just because Paul knows how to be content in the midst of want, in the midst of lacking things, it was still kind and good of the Philippians to help him out. And he describes this help as sharing in or fellowshipping, partnering with him in his affliction, in his trouble. As Paul learns and comes to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, which he talks about back in chapter 3, verse 10, the Philippians are right there with him. They're standing shoulder to shoulder with him, side by side, and they're helping him, even as he is afflicted for his mission. They stand with Paul. In fact, Paul says they're sharing in the same conflict in Philippi at the end of chapter 1, verse 30, that Paul's having. And this church is sending their man, Epaphroditus, to help Paul in his specific affliction. They're not abandoning him and they're not ashamed of him. They're standing with him and helping him. And in this matter, Paul wants to make explicit that they've done well. Uh, This was kind of them to share in his sufferings. When he talks about knowing contentment while lacking, he's not saying you shouldn't have sent anything. This is indeed a good thing. So again, just because we're to learn contentment in all circumstances and situation doesn't mean we don't help people when there is a genuine need, right? We don't turn to somebody who's in great suffering and difficulty and simply say, we'll be content. If we had the means and ability to maybe help ease some of that suffering. There were many people that Paul knew through the course of his life in ministry. We know this from all of a number of his writings in the New Testament and even chapter one in Philippians, when if you think back to when Paul talked about there were brothers there preaching Christ, even 
genuine, it would seem, brothers, but they were seeking to afflict Paul even while he was in prison, while they preached Christ. And Paul was able to rejoice. Even so, he was glad that they were at least preaching Christ. And in that, he would rejoice. So there were those who went by the name of Christian who were flaky with Paul and, and not very faithful friends to him at all. They abandoned him. There were those who were ashamed of his chains. And he has to remind people, whether it's the book of Colossians, whether he's writing even to his dear friend Timothy, to not be ashamed of his chains. Many were, but the Philippians as a church were not. They were not among this group. They stood with Paul. It was kind of you to share in my trouble, he says. And he continues in verse 15, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, and what he means by that is when the gospel first came to you, when you first became acquainted with it. So I read this earlier from chapter 1 and verse 5. He talks about our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, meaning the time when the gospel first came to you and took root in you. You were partners with me. So that's what he means here when he says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when you first received it, he goes on, he says, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Except you only. They're the only church that entered into partnership with him when he left Macedonia in this way. The Macedonia is, it was in Paul's day, the northern part of what is presently Greece, what we know as Greece. And that's where Philippi was located. That's where the city of Philippi was. And when Paul left there and ended up going south from there towards Athens and Corinth in Achaia, which would be southern part of Greece today. When Paul left, there was just one church that partnered with him in giving and receiving. And we'll come back to what giving and receiving means in just a moment. But notice the preciousness of this relationship, the rarity of it. You alone, you only entered into this kind of a partnership with me, Paul says. As he strikes out into a new territory, as he goes south from Macedonia and into Achaia, towards Athens and so on, through Berea, eventually to Corinth, there's one church that's standing there supporting him in this way. And it's the church of Philippi. And not only did they support him, but they were eager to do so. They were eager to be supportive. He says in verse 16, Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. So verse 15 talks about when he left Macedonia, but verse 16, he says even before then. So Thessalonica was to the west of Philippi. When Paul would have left Philippi, he traveled through, and his next stop was in this city of Thessalonica, still in Macedonia. And even there, even there, They were supportive of Paul. And he was only there for a short time. Acts 17 records his time there. And it says he was there for three Sabbaths. So that would be three weeks. Not a long time. And yet, they supported him even there. Such was their eagerness. In fact, it says, you sent help for my needs once and again. It would seem to suggest multiple times. Over the course of three weeks, they made, I think it's 70 miles between these two cities. One way or the other, they're getting this support and help to Paul over the span of just three weeks. This was their eagerness. Paul is recollecting this history and he's bringing it to their attention with obvious thankfulness, with obvious commendation and gratitude that this church stands out as he considers other churches before they are the only ones supporting him in this important season of his ministry. Of course, I don't, I don't think this means that there were zero other churches that were generally supportive of Paul. Certainly, we think of the church of Antioch that sent him out on his missionary journeys and he would report back to when he returned. But of course, Antioch is a long way from Macedonia and Achaia. And so in this season, though, it was just this one church, Philippi, who was supporting Paul in this way. As Paul is recounting this, he's encouraging them. He remembers this. They've renewed support. It's been a while, but this is who they've been from day one, desiring to support Paul and standing with him. This is a a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's, It's perhaps a bit rare, more rare than it should be. But for the Philippians, it was there and it was there from the word go. And so it's good for us to hear this truth again. In in a world of sin 
in anxiety. Let us remember the goodness of this priority. The priority of the the mission of the church and partnering with other believers and supporting one another in our needs and in supporting those who are going out with the gospel. I'm grateful to you as a church. I'm grateful through the last couple of years and all of the craziness that's gone on. And there's all kinds of opportunities for drift and to lose focus. And I think some churches do. And and we could become just as a church overly political and lose focus on what is of primary importance in the preaching of Christ and the establishment of churches. I'm grateful We've been able to continue working towards church plants, two church plants, even in the midst of this kind of insane season that we have found ourselves in, to still be able to be part of this. And I'm not saying this to just because we're all so wonderful and great and and did this all by the work of our own hands or anything like that, or we should have some sort of weird pride in ourselves or anything of that sort. That's not at all the case. But I'm grateful to God that he has continued this work and, and continue to raise up men and families to, to go and to be part of this, that we're still able to do this, that he's provided, even through delays, a place for our Regina folks to, to now gather today. And so let's be encouraged by that. I say that as an encouragement because I think it's right. I think it's the right focus to have. And we want to continue to try to maintain that and be diligent to do so to partner together in this way and with others elsewhere. And, and furthermore, not just to do it, but even to delight in it, to understand the goodness of it, to remember this. And again, beyond Regina, beyond Arcola, Kisby, the Killalays, having them here, remembering and, and hearing about their work in Peru and in the jungles there and of tribes and specific individuals who believe as a result of their ministry there, this is, this is good. This is right for us to focus on, to orient our thinking to this. So recall the beauty of partnering in the gospel. Second, understand the mutual blessing of partnering in the gospel. Understand the mutual blessing of partnering in the gospel. There are two sides to a partnership. We might tend to think, well... One person who gives financially or other material goods, we just, they're just the giver. And really the one who is blessed is the person who receives that and now has their need met. But this is a two-way thing. There's mutual giving and mutual receiving and blessing. So Paul calls their partnership in verse 15, a partnership with me in giving and receiving. Again, it's not simply that the church gives and Paul receives. Both sides give and both sides receive. Many commentators point out here that the giving and receiving that Paul, the words he uses here are technical terms. They're technical words that were used in commercial endeavors that describe settling of accounts, equal accounts, a reciprocal arrangement where two sides of the ledger are balanced out. So you give X, but you also then receive Y in return. And so we're even. It'd be, I guess, Simplest way to think of it is whenever we go buy something from a store, we go, we give something, right? We give our money, they receive that money, and then we also receive the item that we purchase, the item that we want, or maybe the item we need. Uh, But either way, we do receive something and we do give something. It's mutual. We leave there. We've given the right amount. We're even. Everybody's happy. And on we go. Both sides give. Both sides receive. This is the kind of thing Paul is talking about here. And that might seem like a cold way to describe a a relationship. If we tried that with our spouse, that would probably be unwise to use accounting type of language and ledger and so on. But Paul is not simply talking in a cold way about his relationship with them. The world of Philippi and the world of the Roman Empire valued highly social patronage which involved superiors and inferiors in relationship. But this language Paul is describing is describing consensual friendship, where blessings are mutually given and mutually received. And he returns to this imagery in verse 17. If you look there, Paul says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit 
that increases to your credit. So if you're looking at an ESV, other English Bibles might as well, there's a footnote that says that this could be translated as the fact that Paul is not seeking the gift, but the profit that accrues to your account, which probably better, certainly better fits with this business type imagery and language he's using. But again, this is anything but a cold commercial statement. He makes yet another clarification here in verse 17, not unlike the one we saw in verse 11. Those sentences even begin the same way. Paul doesn't want his praise of their giving to be mistaken as a request for more, as if he's after more. Hey, it's a really good thing you did. It's really, really good. As if he's hinting that they should do this once more. Paul's not saying that. He's not after that. He's not seeking their gift in this. Primarily, what Paul is most excited about is what they're receiving in this. What this says about them, the fruit that is credited to their account because of their generosity. What this says about their faith, that they are willing to give, to compile a gift and, and, and give it to Paul to, to, in order to help him, in order to help him continue in his ministry. He's excited that they're demonstrating great fruitfulness as they give their support. Paul receives the blessing of their help, certainly, And they are laying up treasures in heaven through this giving. This is, I think, even clearer in verse 18. He says there, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Again, he's not fishing for more. I don't want more. Uh, I'm well supplied. I received full payment and more. That and more is the word I abound which if you remember from last week, verse 12, it's used twice to speak of being content when he abounds and also when he lacks. He's saying here, he abounds. He has much. He's well supplied. Continue, he says, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Their gift that they've given to Paul by Epaphroditus is a demonstration of Worship is an act of worship. And he uses this Old Testament language about sacrifices here to show this, to say this, to make his point, to speak of their gift as worship, an offering that God receives as acceptable, something that's pleasant in God's nostrils, so to speak. As these Philippians gave, and for some, it was out of extreme poverty. So we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 earlier, and he talks about the giving from the Macedonian churches there. So again, that would include Philippi, certainly. These people that were eager, he's talking about a different situation there, this gift that's going to go to the saints all the way in Jerusalem because of the famine that they were experiencing, the poverty there. They were begging, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, to to be part of this. And some gave According to their means, he says, but some gave, gave even out of their extreme poverty. They wanted to be able to give something to this. Again, they're laying up treasures in heaven as they give and be generous with the things that God has provided for them, such as it is. This is what it is to lay up treasures in heaven. They were investing in eternity as they partnered with Paul, whether they were just seeking to alleviate some of Paul's own needs and, that he had and and help him out. Whether they're thinking of his mission that he's on to preach the gospel where it's not known. As they give to Paul along the way, they're, they're worshiping God. These are acts of worship. And this is all for Paul what, what is of most, what makes him most joyful as he considers it. One could Think of Paul just being glad because he's now receiving and he's abounding. And he's trying to say that's not actually the case. He's glad for it. He's grateful for it. He's expressing that. But he's even more glad for what this says about the giver and where their hearts are. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, as Jesus says. So Paul obviously benefits from the gift. But so too it is a blessing to the giver who has an opportunity to worship in a way that demonstrates their Godward priorities and, and, and in some cases to worship in a way that would be costly to them. 
So consider, is this how you view giving and and partnering in the gospel? As a chance to worship God. As an opportunity to invest in eternity. To exchange some of your earthly wealth, such as it may be, for treasures in heaven. The Bible speaks of God's loving a cheerful giver. We, we do not desire you just to give out of some oppressive obligation or check something off a list. That would, that's not how the Bible speaks of giving. Gifts bless the receiver, most certainly, but also the giver. And so understand this mutual blessing that occurs. So even as a church, as we think about sending a number of our people to, to go plant in other places, and, and, and that changes the dynamic even of our own body here, our local body here, and certainly even just the friendships we miss seeing everybody uh, week after week. Nevertheless, it is a blessed thing to be able to send people out that we love dearly, that they might go and, and plant and invest in other places for the sake of the gospel, to reach other people. And this is something for us to rejoice in. Of course, as we think about the Philippians, and we think about their receiving what they are receiving, they they received opportunity to worship God as they gave, as they demonstrated the fruit of their faith. But of course, before they had any opportunity to give money to Paul or any other material gifts to him, Before they had an opportunity to give anything, they had received from God through the Apostle Paul the greatest and foundational blessing of all, namely the gospel itself. Paul showed up in the city of Philippi after receiving what we often call the Macedonian call, this vision God gave him to go to Macedonia and to preach the gospel. And so that's precisely what he did. And Philippi is the first city that he really landed in and began to preach in. And there we find both pagans and also Jews. Think of Lydia and the other women that gathered to pray. Hearing the good news of the eternal Son of God, as Paul talks about in chapter 2 of Philippians, took on flesh, dwelt among us, as John says, in order to come and reconcile sinners to God by satisfying the holy wrath of God for those sinners putting away the enmity between God and sinner. And as Paul proclaimed the Son of God, proclaimed Christ crucified and risen from the dead to the people of Philippi, dead sinners were brought to life by the power of God. As Paul preached Christ and then he called men and women to repent of their sin and to place their faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And as men and women believed this and were baptized, this new church formed in Philippi. This group of people from various backgrounds, the Philippian jailer, we think of him again, Lydia, various backgrounds coming together as one body in the church, having a common salvation with an eternal inheritance now theirs. And as they gathered, they began imperfectly, but they began living in light of that eternal inheritance, in light of their salvation, belonging now to God's redeemed people. And as they sought to live in faithfulness to their Savior, part of this included their renewed desires, which involved their desire to give, to give to help Paul in his mission, to alleviate some of his needs. And then, of course, even as we read, to help brothers and sisters they'd never met all the way over in Jerusalem. This common salvation is the gift shared in by all involved in true gospel partnerships. So even as we think about giving and receiving, you know, we're not, as a church, we're not really after your money. We're really not. We want you first and foremost to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to hear and to receive the good news of salvation in Christ's name. We want you to entrust yourself and your eternity 
to him and find the forgiveness of sins. That's our desire. And we desire others to hear that same message and place their faith in Jesus Christ. And we will seek, as we do give, we will seek to do the best we can to use the money to that end. end. Thirdly, as we're talking gospel partnerships here, a third thing, trust in the ultimate supplier of all needs. Trust in the ultimate supplier of all needs. As we think about the context of chapter 4, the anxiety and the worry that the church was experiencing, the conflict within, even as they battled with unity within the church, and as they battled uh, persecution and oppression from the outside as well, worry and concern about the future might tempt the Philippians or us to be tight-fisted, to be lacking in generosity, to think, I can't depart with any surplus Because I don't know what tomorrow holds. But Paul reassures them in verse 19. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then, as if he can't help himself, he just declares praise. He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul makes this promised the statement in verse 19 about God providing. He will provide every need. And he doesn't qualify this in any way here. This this can make this promise a little bit tricky. He just says it. He will supply and doesn't qualify it in any way. What does he mean by this? Well, some seeing that this might present some difficulty for those who might lack, have genuine lack, Some say that it is speaking purely of spiritual needs here. That God will provide your spiritual needs for you. But the context would seem to suggest Paul has more in mind than that. That he does have material needs in mind. After all, that's what the Philippians were giving to Paul. They were helping him, giving some of their surplus to Paul to help him out as he is in prison as he's writing this letter. Others would say that it is material things that Paul has in mind here that God will supply, but really he has this in view, the the eschaton, last days, the final times, the time when Christ will return and his kingdom will be consummated. Think of the new heavens and new earth. And of course it is true at that time. There will be nothing lacking for God's people in eternity. And this may certainly be part of the promise Paul has here. I don't think that is ever far from Paul's mind when he's talking and speaking of blessings in Christ Jesus. But I do think that's not all he has in mind. So a man by the name of Joseph Hellerman, he wrote a commentary that's helpful on Philippians. I've used it throughout this series. He says any difficulty here can be clarified by two things. First, Paul is referring to both material and spiritual needs being supplied by God with material needs being the primary focus here. But again, keep in mind what we've already seen in verses 10 to 13. God's providing for his people doesn't mean that we'll always have abundance and that we'll never have seasons where we lack things. Paul himself, saying that God will supply, he knew what it was to lack things at times, to have those seasons where he was not well-fed. And to still find contentment even in it. Hellerman writes this. He says, God's provision for Paul transcended the physical. For the apostle had found sufficient resources in Christ to be content in a variety of material circumstances. Including hunger and lack. The Philippians can anticipate the same as they continue to live for Christ. Yes, they can and ought to trust that God will provide materially for them but also to trust for the spiritual strength to do all things through him who strengthens them when they are even in seasons of scarcity and awaiting God's provision. Second, we should, Hellerman says, it helps clarify this promise, we should read the promise as directed to the community, that is, to the church as a whole, 
not just to each individual member in isolation. So the reality is one of the ways that God provides for some of his people is through the provision of other believers within the church. Those who have helping those who have not. We see this throughout the scriptures. Again, 2 Corinthians 8, it's a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, when there's that whole discussion about widows and who to how, when to enroll them and so on. In, this, in this, uh, this, these roles they have where they would help these widows who are in genuine need. This is a church helping the church, helping one another within the church. It's how the widows were provided for. Again, as we saw last time, sometimes God takes individuals through those seasons that are tight, where we lack. And when that situation, even of need, is genuine, what I mean by that is it's not because of laziness or just a refusal to work, which Paul addresses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. When there's a genuine need, it is right then, it is good for believers to help one another. This is precisely, again, what Philip, the Philippians were doing for Paul. So Paul is pointing us here to this promise of God's rich supply for the needs of his people, for the needs of his church. As the Philippians faced persecution, as they faced certainly, I would say, uncertainty in the future, Paul is reminding them that their gift and their sacrifice is not forgotten by the God who does and will provide for his people. He can and he will help them through whatever difficulty and trial they face. And he points out here that God gives according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This picture is a storehouse of various blessings and glory that God distributes to his people, to those that are in Christ, those united to him by faith, receiving blessings of God through Christ Jesus. And even the way this is worded would certainly seem to point beyond even just material needs and material supply to spiritual blessing, to what he describes in Ephesians 1, 3, as every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that God has blessed those in Christ with. So I think one implication here for us is that in reading this, we should be those characterized by generosity as we have opportunity and trust that the Lord will provide for us. And even where we seek to give sacrificially, we are to trust that God will supply It doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to just go easy for us. I think people think this. I put in $10 to giving and I'm going to get 100 out of it. We have prosperity gospels that corrupt. I think all of this teaching and blessing that comes as we give. We might also suffer want, even if we share now. We don't know for sure what will come. But God will supply the strength to endure that with contentment. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the context of that that verse. So again, as we we think about giving, as we talk about that, um, 2 Corinthians 8, which we read, I've referenced a couple times now, it gives a number of caveats to giving about, Paul is not saying that those who are impoverished should just be further impoverished so that others can can have their situation eased. There are some caveats. I'm not going to go into all those details, but you can read through that which will help fill out uh, kind of the broader picture even of, of our giving. But this does call us to generosity, to trust that God will provide for us even as we seek to help our brothers and sisters as we have opportunity. And as Paul talks about the God who richly supplies, he then bursts forth again into this doxology and we find in verse 20. Ascribing all glory to the God who provides graciously and kindly for his people. Finally, as we consider partnering in the gospel, last point here. Maintain a universal outlook. Maintain a universal outlook. Throughout this section, the focus is obviously outward. 
The Philippians supported Paul. They're looking outside of themselves to try to help Paul. For Paul's own sake, they love Paul. They're grateful to Paul. They want to help him. They want to ease his his troubles, ease his need, and stand with him. They do this for the good of those that he's going to visit with the gospel and proclaim it to. And this is an important reminder of the mindset that we need to try to cling to and cultivate. A mindset that can disappear too easily when trials come. When difficulty comes, there's a tendency for us to turn inward and to think of ourselves, to think of our own immediate issues, to the neglect of other people. We, we lose our perspective and we can lose fervency in missions, in evangelism, in supporting missions. And this broad outward perspective is also evident in the final verses, in these greetings. So verse 21, it says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul, along with, he says, the brothers that are with me, these are maybe his co-workers, his immediate group. They issue greetings to the saints in Philippi. Then more broadly, all the saints here send their greetings along to you. And he says, especially those who are of Caesar's household. Now, in all likelihood, many of these believers in, in again, I think most likely Paul is imprisoned in Rome as he's writing this. So between these Christians in Rome and these Christians in Philippi, they probably have never met each other for the most part. Epaphroditus, this mutual contact, Paul. And yet here they are sending greetings to one another. And this greeting, when they, this greeting is not simply a hey, you know, you might say hey to somebody in passing in the store. It's not just a casual hello, it's an expression of solidarity with one another. Brothers greeting their fellow brothers, their equals in Christ's kingdom. It says, especially of all the people giving greetings, those of Caesar's household greet them. That reference is likely not so much to a reference to the immediate family of Caesar, but rather to workers, be both slaves and free, who take up tasks on the emperor's estates and government administration. And behind this passing reference to Caesar's household that seemed particularly eager to send greetings to these brothers and sisters, behind this reference lies an important reminder for the Philippians and an important reminder for you and for me. Even in the very seat of imperial power in Paul's day, the most powerful household on the planet in all likelihood, even there, the gospel had conquered conquered hearts and taken root. The Philippians are being persecuted by their pagan neighbors. Paul is being persecuted, arrested in Jerusalem, been in prison for a long time, in prison now further in Rome, in the very heart of the Roman Empire. And yet the, the mission of Paul has never ceased. He's not had the same freedom of mobility to go wherever he pleases, but he has continued to preach. And even as he writes to these brothers and sisters in Philippi, these saints from within Caesar's own household are sending their greetings. Wherever the Lord's people go, even if it is to prison, the gospel goes with us. And in this way, the gospel cannot be squelched. It cannot be put out. God will be victorious in this mission of saving a people for himself. Jesus told us if we get hauled before kings even, oh, what in the world would we do at that point? He says, it's your opportunity to bear witness, even before kings. Christ will have the prize for which he died. Again, this is a reminder here that we are not dependent for our existence as a church upon any government or any governing authority. We exist Because God has called us out of darkness 
And our mission of proclaiming the gospel to others was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who has all authority on heaven and on earth. And when anybody would say we have to stop that or try to get in the way, we have the right from the king of glory himself to proceed with that mission. God calls us to gather together and to worship him. He gets to set the agenda for what that means and what that looks like. Even in the book of Acts, when rulers would try to snuff out the gospel and the Christians scattered because of the persecution, they went with the gospel. They went proclaiming the gospel and that attempt to to stop the church became a catalyst for the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. And here's Paul in the heart of the empire. And there are brothers and sisters right there under the nose of Caesar. We see here the broad scope of the church. God's people are truly a universal people. And again, it was helpful. I I hope it was helpful for you if you're able to be here Tuesday and to hear from Tim talk with the Killalay family, brief as it was, to hear about the gospel going out to various jungle tribes and peoples in Peru. Not something that was romanticized, as if there's no hardness of heart in Peru at all, but to hear of, of, of men putting in hard work to, to be at seminary and get trained in the truths of Scripture and then to take that back to their villages to hear wonderful accounts of people entrusting themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ in Peru, which to me seems like a world away. And yet if you think about each soul, as Tim and his ministry partners continue to plow there and to proclaim Christ and teach and train pastors to do the same, each soul that comes to faith in Jesus Christ is a precious brother or sister in the Lord. This is the kind of thing that we get the joy and the privilege of partnering with. As God calls men and women out of darkness, his mission will not fail. Even if things become difficult, even if the world as we presently know it was shattered and changed overnight. Let us fight to keep a universal perspective on things. We're not an island here, and praise God for that. And even when we see so little progress around us, even when we see so few churches willing to just open the Bible and preach it the best they can, imperfectly, but the best they possibly can, to just proclaim the simplicity of Christ, to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified among other people, Nevertheless, let's remember and let's smile that even now there are brothers and sisters the world over, even in difficult places where they face all kinds of intense persecution and suffering. Places like Afghanistan, Russia, Ukraine, Peru, all over Latin America, all over the world, and across our country as well. The nation's rage But as Psalm 2 tells us, their plotting is in vain. For the Lord has set his king on Zion, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is good, it is a wonderful thing to partner together for the sake of the gospel. Let us not grow weary in this. And let us know and trust that God will supply our needs, even in times of scarcity, even if we go through difficult seasons. Our God is good. And he forever remains the same and in complete control. And to him be glory forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these reminders today from your word. We're thankful for your word. Father, thank you for for doing anything good in our midst. May all glory belong... All glory does belong to you. May we ascribe all glory to you. Forgive us any pride for any 
thing we've ever done, Father. All that we have that is good is gracious gift from you. Father, we are so thankful for your, your people that are scattered all over the world. And I just pray that you would encourage and strengthen your people everywhere they are. Father, and right here, I pray that we would not grow weary in the work of the gospel, not grow weary as we seek to live each day unto you. Father, thank you that we can be part, even in a very minor role in all of this. Why you would bother using any human being in any way is beyond me. But Father, thank you that we get to be part of what you do on this earth. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Regina. We pray that this church would would take off, that that many would hear the gospel as a result of their presence there. And that people would come and hear your word proclaimed word by word, verse by verse. Father, we, we, we just ask your blessing. Father, we look to you to provide our needs as individuals, as a church, Father, help us to be those who, who don't just be consumed with our own struggles, whatever they might be, financial or otherwise, but who also look outward to the needs of, of our brothers and sisters right here in our own church and then beyond our walls as well. Father, provide for us in everything. Grant us contentment, joy, perseverance, God, you are good and you are worthy of all praise. And so we do give you praise and worship in Jesus' name. Amen.